1: If
2: baby does not come out kicking and screaming, what do you want us to do? Both Freed and I said, do whatever it takes, save this baby.
3: What was my line? Do I say this is (laughs) podvocative? Okay,
4: try this again.
3: Hi, I'm Sheetal. And I'm Farheen.
4: Every other week, we host a smileys with unique stories to tell.
3: Welcome to Podvocative.
4: Welcome to episode three. We're here for part two of a Motherhood series. Before that, we're going to
3: answer a fun question. Yeah, no, this this question's not that fun. <laughs> I just <laughs> thought of this. <laughs> because we are both holding these mics like quite close to our mouths. And I recently learned what ASMR is. Do you know what ASMR stands for? No. Give me like your best guess.
4: Oh, that's a good question. Okay, um, <laughs> a sound. <laughs> hold on, hold on. A-sound? I'm just thinking out loud. That's not my. That's not my final guess. Um, that's so funny. ASMR. AS stands for a sound. <laughs> <laughs> Alternative sound making reality. <laughs>
3: Alternative sound making. Re- okay, that's not bad.
4: That's, that's a horrible terrible. guess and i don't that's have so any
3: terrible. Point. It's better than a sound okay asmr audio auditory oh nice wait uh, do you know or you just no asked? no i actually don't know oh cool <laughs> okay so you're gonna make a guess too. no i'm gonna guess i have no idea Okay,
4: while you're guessing i'm gonna look up the real
3: okay, okay. i'll say audio visual sensory music <laughs>
4: mm-hmm.
3: reaction no Audiovisual, sensory or musical reaction that's fine what i'll go
4: with oh nice okay what is so the real thing is autonomous sensory so you got that one right autonomous sensory meridian response so you got one out of four
3: i don't even know what that means though what's meridian response
4: meridian is
3: signifying a peak climax or point of highest development i guess that makes sense All right. Well, we learned something new, though. I will 100% forget this in one minute. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we don't have any ASMR in this episode, but it is a really awesome story. And we wanted to talk to Neelam because she didn't have the the traditional image of motherhood or of pregnancy. And that's what this series is all about.
4: And beyond that, because her child arrived so early, Neelam talks about how There wasn't much time to prepare. She wasn't able to make a nursery. She didn't have a ready hospital bag for when she went into labor. It kind of all just happened on a whim and she was being more reactive than proactive throughout it because things were being thrown at her and then she just had to figure out how to navigate through. And so the way she deals with adversity, the way she gracefully handles all the hardship that came at her is just... So incredible. And I learned so much about resilience through Neelam. And I'm so happy to be sharing this
3: with you all today. And we're so thankful that she shared her story. It was not an easy story for her to share. And so for that, we are very grateful that she was on our platform. We just hope you guys love it. And we will see all of you on the other side of this.
4: Hi, Neelam. Thank you so much for joining us. We're so excited to be here with you and to talk to you today. First, if you could just introduce yourself, tell us who you are, where you live, what you do. And then if you want to tell us your favorite board game.
2: My name is Neelam Meghani. I live in Irving, Texas. I am an account manager at uh, JBW Watches. It's a company owned by my family. My favorite board game would probably have to be Ticket to Ride. I love that game. <laughs> I have it on my phone and I play it all the time. And then, whenever our friends come over, we play it at our house all the time. But I've
3: never heard of this game.
2: They have a
4: world uh, version, and I think yeah. they also have like a US version and then Europe. Version. The U.S.
2: version is really easy.
3: Cool. Well, thank you for being here. Can you give us like, really briefly just a very high-level overview of you know, your story and the reason that you're here today?
2: I had kind of a difficult time getting pregnant. We had been trying for a year, so I went to a gynecologist. He ran a bunch of tests and saw that some of my hormone levels were low and started me on some medications. That still didn't work. We ended up deciding we would take a break, but then... I ended up getting pregnant. I didn't have a very fun pregnancy. I ended up going into labor at 23 weeks, so 17 weeks early, and had a baby boy who was then in the make you for five months and was medically helped to grow and become a baby. Now he's 10 months old. He's doing great. He's healthy. But you know, the struggles of having your first child was definitely a big thing in my life. <laughs> How did you know that motherhood was right for you? My entire life, I've kind of felt motherly around all my friends around my cousins and my family. And growing up, I always loved kids. People just always told me that I would make a great mother. And when we got married, I knew that I wanted to have
3: kids of my own. Did you ever feel pressure from like our community or from other smileys that like this was something? I know you said you always wanted to be a mother, but did you ever feel like even a timeline sort of pressure about it? Always. For even I dated for 10 years before we got married. So we were
2: always getting pressure of when are y'all going to get married? You guys have been together for 10 years. Why aren't you guys married yet? And then when we finally got married, the question of when are you guys having kids just never stopped from everyone in Connie, from even our friends to our family. When are you going to have kids? When are you going to have kids? We want to be a grandma.
3: As someone that struggled to get pregnant, right? And as someone that struggled to have kids, were those questions ever invasive or unwelcome or, you know, like when people talk about, even for people who don't want to have kids, like when people ask them, you know, when are you having kids? Do you think that's something that people shouldn't ask?
2: I think so. For me and Fareed, it was on us to when we were going to have kids, not when everybody wanted us to have kids. We wanted to spend the first few years being with each other, being married. You know, Six months in, we ended up getting a, a dog and we ended up getting Emma. And so we spent all of our time focused on her and we wanted it to be Fareed, myself and Emma. When we felt it was right for us, when we felt ready, when we felt we were financially stable that's when we decided to have a kid. There were many times where I felt it was very personal for even family members to ask if we were pregnant and if I had missed my period. Don't ask me that. I don't want to talk about my period in general. And then you're asking me, how do I feel? Do I feel pregnant? Have you missed your period? So can you share with us some of the steps that you have to take to become a mother? Like I said, we had tried for almost a year to get pregnant um, naturally. And When we decided to finally see a gynecologist and um, he had run the blood tests, he had seen that the hormone progesterone was really low. And so he started me on progesterone pills to raise my hormone level. That still didn't work. So he started me on Clomid, which treats infertility. And then at the six-month checkup, he said the next step would be IVF. I was not ready
3: to go through IVF. Six weeks later, I ended up getting pregnant obviously that's a lot to go through what was that process like for you not just physically but sort of emotionally and did it take a toll on your mental health
2: emotionally, you want to get pregnant naturally, that you're pretty much told your entire life, you're going to get pregnant. But for me, that didn't happen. Like I had to do, take all these measures to just to get pregnant, I had to put my body through like these side effects, I had to continuously put all this stuff into my body like all these medications. And internally, I kept telling myself, why am I doing this? Just to have a baby? Why am I putting my body through this? I knew that we wanted to get pregnant. And so it just you kind of put everything to the back of your mind because you have this goal set that you really want to get pregnant. You don't want to fail. I literally sometimes felt like I was letting everyone down because I couldn't get pregnant. I wasn't getting pregnant and that I had to like make myself take all these supplements to try to get pregnant when it should just happen naturally. So I did almost feel like my body had failed me, which was just the first step in the whole process was that first time that I felt like my body had failed me. What impact did... That have on your relationship? It didn't really affect our relationship much because Freeze and I was have always like been on the same page. We've always discussed everything. We never have made any decisions without talking it through. Him supporting me through the whole thing and knowing what I was going through and knowing what to say to make me feel okay when I was on the clomid and feeling crummy those few days and like making coffee or bringing me food or just anything that would cheer me up I really don't think it impacted our relationship any more than just making us stronger and bringing us closer and you know knowing that he's my best friend and that we're each other's friends love
3: to hear that that he was there for you and that it worked out and of course now we know that you did get pregnant and you did have a baby um so can you walk us through what was your pregnancy like was it okay was it painful and then kind of how it culminated pretty unexpectedly after you know a few months
2: my Pregnancy was somewhat normal. I had, you know, morning sickness, had a pretty small baby bump, was talking about baby showers and everything when we wanted to do it. Hadn't started working on the nursery yet, but, you know, we started thinking about the things that we wanted in the nursery and stuff like that. But then I was around 12 weeks pregnant pregnant i want to say i woke up in the middle of the night kind of felt wet i didn't feel right so i went to the bathroom and pulled down my underwear and it was covered in blood my mind was rushing because i immediately went to miscarriage i called my mom and told her what was happening she immediately started thusly i ended up getting off of the phone with her and i asked for should we go to the emergency room like a- a- like as if i was asking him like he was supposed to know the answer to that And I ended up calling my gynecologist's office just to see if they had like an after hours line or something. I had no idea because I was still really early into my pregnancy. And I explained the situation to the operator. And without hesitation, he goes, hold on, I'm calling the doctor. I was like, okay. My doctor hopped on immediately. At this point, it's like three in the morning. So he's like, can you meet me at my office? I was like, yeah, I'm only like 15 minutes away. He was already waiting there at the door. Gets us up, does an ultrasound, baby's good, heart rate is good. We see where the blood could be coming from, but we weren't sure. So he just put me on bed rest immediately for six weeks. After the bleeding stopped, I made my follow-up, went in, baby was still growing, everything was normal. So he let me go back to my normal routine. I started showing by this point, I had a little baby bump, I was so happy. Fast forward to, I was 23 weeks, woke up in the morning to get ready for work, again, had blood. Immediately called my gynecologist, he told me to get back on bed rest. My head felt heavy, I was dizzy, I was lethargic. Body just didn't feel right, I was achy, something didn't feel right. I knew something wasn't right. My gynecologist did a sonogram, baby was good, Still couldn't see where the blood was coming from, but he said everything was good. Then he was like, let me just go ahead and do a cervical exam just to make sure, you know, baby's head is still in a good position and everything's good. So as he was doing the cervical exam, his face dropped and the mood in the room just like completely turned dark. He's sitting in front of me and then he turns to Fareed and he goes, get her dressed. Do not take a detour. Do not go anywhere. Go immediately to the hospital. You're being admitted to labor and delivery. I'm like trying to wrap my mind around what just happened. He starts going into your one centimeters dilated and you're contracting. And I was like, I don't think so because I don't feel contractions. I'm in zero. I'm in like minus 10 pain level. Like there's zero pain. So how are you gonna tell me that I'm like contracting right now? So we literally drive over and I go, My name's Neela Megani. The nurse runs out from behind the counter, walks me directly to a room, doesn't even like take me into triage, nothing, no questions, hands me a gown and goes, change. I'm like not even laying down at this point. And I'm like, my arm is out and the late and another nurse is like putting in the IV. She's like, I'm giving you fluids because you can't eat, you can't drink anything, I'm giving you antibiotics in case you have an internal infection. And then she's like, I'm also giving you magnesium. Every time I think about being on magnesium, it it gives me chills because being on magnesium was one of the worst experiences of my life. And I was on magnesium for four days. You're nauseated and you're vomiting. I had the worst headache. I had body chills, but I was also sweating. And then your ears basically burn to the point where you're itching. After they got me strapped in and they're like watching the monitors she was like, you're contracting every two to three minutes. Do you feel anything? And I was like, I feel the baby kicking. She's like, that's not a kick. That's a contraction. And I was like, I've been contracting for multiple days Then that means. Because I always thought that that was a kick. And she's like, yeah, that's not baby kicking. That's you contracting. Then later that night, my gynecologist came in and he said that you are a high risk pregnancy. You're going to stay here. They'll move you over to antepartum and you're basically here on bed rest until you deliver. When am I going to deliver? Like you're telling me I have to stay here. I'm only like five months pregnant. Are you telling me I have to stay here for four months? what am I supposed to do in a hospital for four months? And he's like, you could deliver today in a month or in four months. You could go full term for all we know, but you're not going home, (laughs) that hurt. So I was basically in the hospital for over the weekend. Um, I was in antepartum, first day that I was there, the neonatologist told me, if your baby is born at 23 weeks, we will intervene and do whatever we can to save the baby. If baby does not come out breathing, what do you want us to do? There's a lot going through your mind when you have a doctor telling you to make a decision if you want them to save your baby. When you're pregnant, you expect and hope that you have a full-term baby and you never have to make a decision like that. For even I didn't know how to discuss it, but we had to, I basically decided no matter what happens, you do whatever it takes to save this baby. On day five, the contractions hit like a bowling ball. Worst pain I'd ever been in in my entire life. As soon as I sat on the wheelchair, just blood again. They wheeled me over to labor and delivery. Nurses checked me. I was contracting every minute. I was seven centimeters dilated. Just all of a sudden, my water broke. As I'm sitting there about to deliver, the neonatologist asked again, if baby does not come out kicking and screaming, what do you want us to do? Both Fred and I
0: And if you love the Filet-O-Fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price.
1: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
0: So
2: I do whatever it takes. Save this baby. Do not let anything happen to him. You save this baby. I pushed for about 10 minutes and baby was out. He was kicking and screaming, full head of hair. My gynecologist was able to put him on my lap for 45 seconds so that he could get any remaining nutrients and blood from my placenta. And then he cut the cord and handed him over to the neonatologist and The neonatologist took over, intubated him, and he was still screaming, which was a really awesome sound to hear. And then my gynecologist continued to deliver my placenta. But instead of delivering my placenta, he ended up delivering a massive blood clot, which turned out to be the culprit in all of this. So the massive blood clot basically formed between my placenta and the wall of my uterus. And so it was pushing against the placenta and the baby, and so my body basically thought that the uterus was at a good enough weight that the baby was ready to be delivered so my body basically thought okay Weight-wise, you're ready to deliver. You're ready to go into labor, but really, it was just a blood clot that was taking up majority of the space in my stomach.
4: Thank you for sharing all that. That sounds like it must have been so tough to go through. I know you said everything was happening so fast, and and you were asked to make a lot of really important decisions um, along the way and really fast too. What were you thinking through all of this?
2: I was scared the entire time. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. There's no way you can prepare for something like this. You're never told to prepare for something like this. Growing up, you're told you get pregnant, you have a normal pregnancy. You never hear about the scary side of a difficult pregnancy or a difficult delivery. You don't know how to prepare for going into labor at 23 weeks, having a baby so early, not knowing what's going to happen. I know that it wasn't my fault. I know there was nothing that I could do. I basically felt like my body had failed me again. My body had failed me when I was trying to get pregnant. And then my body had failed me, basically robbing me of that normal nine-month pregnancy. Unfortunately, I had to come to terms with it. I had to jump into mother mode. I had to pray to God that my baby was going to be safe and that he would be healthy. There was nothing I could do. There was nothing I could tell myself, make me not feel scared. But I was never alone. Farid was with me the entire time. Both our parents came daily. My sister stood by me the entire time. Our families brought Christmas to me because it it was during the week of Christmas.
3: So, you know, you touched upon this and this is something you just talked about, but as you were, you know, delivering and you were in the hospital and even before you delivered, They told you you're going to have to be there until you give birth and they, you know, and then you started delivering. Did you ever just feel like you were missing out on like a regular pregnancy? Were you ever just upset that that wasn't something that you were going to get to have? My experience is basically stolen from me. And I do feel that like I said, I
2: know it's not my body's fault. I know it's not my fault. My body failed me of having a baby shower of being pregnant for nine months of setting up a nursery of buying baby clothes of buying a crib of packing a Hospital bag, I never got to do that. Fruith went home every day because he had to grab stuff. He would run home for like five minutes, grab like a charger, grab a toothbrush. Like you had to grab everything because we didn't have a hospital bag pack. However, with all that said, I would never go back and change a thing, I wouldn't change anything. I wouldn't go back to do it all over again differently if I had the option.
4: That's so sweet to hear. And I'm sure this whole experience has made you stronger as a person and just your marriage and your family. So I'm glad that, you know, even though you faced hardship, that you're still looking at it in a positive light. So you told us that you gave birth and Zayden was born. And then what happened next? How long were you in the NICU? What was that process like?
2: So we named him Zayden because in Arabic, it means growth. And he had a lot of growing to do he was born 23 weeks five days he was only one pound and two ounces he was in the NICU at Medical City Dallas Children's for 164 days he also spent a few like four days in the PICU just for pulmonary hypertension which they were able to get under control
3: yeah he was it was a pretty long five months (laughs) so obviously there's a lot going on when your child is born early and you're in the NICU and the PICU what were some of the daily challenges there and what What were things that you kind of had to overcome each day and how did you do that?
2: The first challenge that we encountered um, was on the first day when we went down to the NICU after they kind of got Zayden settled and everything. The neonatologist pulled me and Free to the side and said one in every two baby born basically at 23 weeks makes it out alive. Zayden had a 50% chance. He told us the next 24 to 48 hours was very critical. Luckily, Zayden pulled through and he did not get sick in the first 24 to 48 hours. But we basically learn that being born that early he would just develop outside of my body he would he was placed in an incubator which is basically a big box that's kind of designed to mimic the womb so they keep it warm they make it humid his lungs were severely underdeveloped your lungs don't really start developing until you're 26 weeks pregnant so he was on an oscillator that was doing all the breathing for him i wasn't able to touch him while he was on the oscillator i could change his diaper and stuff but we had to be very gentle and we couldn't really touch him at all. After he was on the oscillator, then he eventually moved to the ventilator, which is a little less invasive than an oscillator. He had two surgeries. One of his surgeries was he had a hole in his heart, which they tried to close with ibuprofen and it ended up causing his kidneys to fail. So they stopped that and got his kidneys revamped. And then, and then he had laser treatment in his left eye to stop retinopathy of prematurity, which is caused when too much oxygen is being pumped into the body. He had five blood transfusions. We tried very hard not to google anything. It's very scary when you start googling 23 weekers. We had to learn all the wires that he was plugged into, all the settings on his breathing machines. We had to learn what the monitor was telling us and what to look for, where everything was just easy to follow because you know, you jump right into this like mode where you need to know everything. And so you kind of push back any of that, like, oh my God, I'm scared. Oh my God, I'm gonna cry through everything. Like, I didn't give myself that time to cry, I gave myself that time to learn instead. Yeah. Um, that's,
4: I mean, that's so amazing and so impressive. I feel like I would not have been able to handle it as gracefully as you and your husband did. So that's really amazing that you just turned this into a whole learning experience and really tried to be there. Did you share this journey with people in the
2: community? Did other people outside your family know what you were going through? So we didn't share anything just with our immediate family. And then just a couple of my close best friends that would kind of help me go through whatever I was just to listen to me rant. We did after he came home from the hospital. That's when I kind of started sharing a little bit more on social media. I did join a couple of NICU support groups on Facebook and Instagram. And I do share with them because you know, they have gone through it, they've been through it. And then I also chime in and help where I can. So I do share in that community but I've never shared within our community.
3: Well, thank you, obviously, for being here today. So, you know, moving forward, obviously you and Zayden and the family are home now. You know, how is he doing now? And what does the path forward for him look like? So now Zayden is pretty much thriving. He is off of oxygen support. His
2: pulmonary hypertension has been resolved. He's doing great checking off milestones on the development chart. One thing I do want to explain is yes, he was born at 23 weeks. So he is 10 months old. However, since he was born 17 weeks early, he is developmentally at a six month level. So everything that a six month old would be doing, he is doing, but depending on the baby, most micropremies catch up by the time that they're 18 months to two years old. So basically, even though he's seven months old, he's doing everything that a six month old would be doing. He has no major medical issues. He takes formula through a bottle. I wasn't able to breastfeed him, but I was able to give him breast milk that I expressed every day for seven months. I kind of got lucky that I was able to still pump and get breast milk, even though my body hadn't gone to full term. I kind of had to jumpstart my body into being like, hey, we need to start pumping. My body actually didn't fail me. And so I was able to bond with him by giving him a bottle instead of bonding with him by breastfeeding. But I still I actually kind of think it worked out great because Fareed got to feed him a lot and give him his bottle. And my mom and my mother-in-law and both grandmas got to give him a bottle. And so everybody kind of got to bond with him rather than just me breastfeeding. Since leaving the NICU, we've had weekly doctor appointments. He's seen the pediatrician, cardiologist, pulmonologist. He's seen a gastroenterologist. Just this past week, we were told by our pulmonologist and cardiologist that we do not need to come in for monthly checkups anymore. So that is a huge thing. Yeah, but he he's thriving. He's doing great. I'm
4: so happy to hear that he's thriving and he's fully living up to his name and growing. <laughs> <laughs> so I know that you had mentioned that you had always grown up um, wanting to be a mother and obviously no part of your journey was predictable. So I'm sure there were so many unexpected things thrown your way. But now that you're a mother, what are some unexpected parts that you wouldn't have thought of, but that have changed your life?
2: My unexpected parts of motherhood really are related to having a micropreemie. I had to pump. I wasn't able to breastfeed him. We constantly have to monitor his oxygen level to make sure that he can stay off of the oxygen and to make the oxygen support support. Another big unexpected part, we have to be very strict about quarantine during COVID and the flu because yes his lungs are stronger. But he cannot contract COVID or the flu. And so instead of going out and going to the mall or going to family's houses or going to friends' houses, even if COVID wasn't around, we still have to be completely isolated at home to ensure that he does not get sick. Our extended families have not met Zayden besides on Zoom. So again, not being able to show him off to the world, but hopefully soon we will be able to. But yeah, that's pretty much changed my perspective on motherhood
3: because it's so different with a micro preemie. Yeah, yeah, completely. Obviously, I've been closer to this and I'm, of course, so happy that Zayden is doing okay. And, you know, I I can't imagine the combination of having a preemie baby and then living through COVID and all of the mess going on. So as you said, most of the unexpected parts of motherhood had to do with having, you know, a preemie baby and going through this process with your family. What do you think as a community we could do better to better support women in similar positions? Or how can we normalize, you know, pregnancies that don't look like our traditional image of a pregnancy? Like how can we normalize and sort of support people who who don't have that because so many women don't have that. I think just talking about it, understanding that
2: not every pregnancy is normal. Not every pregnancy is going to go the way you hear about. Like I said, I don't know many people in our community that have had a baby so early. I don't know many, many people that have spent time in the NICU. Once you see them in in Kanye or once you see them out, you just see them with the baby. You don't know what they've gone through. You don't know what they've dealt with. I know for a lot. People, it's very hard to discuss, it's very hard to talk about, but sometimes letting them know that it's okay to talk about it, it's okay to have it out in the open. I know in our community, it's just like, Oh my god, I'm gonna be judged! Oh my god, they're gonna say, What did you do wrong? How, like, what did you do wrong that I can't do wrong? So I can't have a normal pregnancy. It's, I've been asked that, I have been asked, What did you do wrong? So I cannot do that in my pregnancy. I did nothing wrong. So just educating, anything can happen. Anything can happen. I know in our community, it's so taboo to talk about you dealing with a hardship pregnancy. Thank you again to you for being brave enough to share
4: that
3: here today. Normalizing starts with conversations like this. So I'm any- so
2: Come here for a
3: second. Are we going to see Zayden? Yes. <sighs> Hi! Hi Zayden! Zayden! Hi Zayden! Hi! Hi! Okay, well we have just one more thing. We just have rapid fire. We'll do the 12 questions in 90 seconds.
4: Dream travel destination?
3: Las Vegas.
4: Favorite app on your phone? Ticket to ride. Talking or texting? Texting. Favorite ice cream flavor? Rocky Road. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received?
2: Don't take anything for granted.
4: What's a word
3: you use too much? OMG. What's your biggest pet peeve? Chewing with your mouth open. Early bird or night owl? Early bird. What is your go-to airport snack? Hot Cheetos. Milk or cereal first? Cereal. What song is your anthem? Any song by Avril Lavigne or Backstreet Boys. (laughs) Any. (laughs) I will always remember you and Farrah dancing to Backstreet Boys. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, what is your favorite childhood TV show? Rugrats. Yay. Okay. You finished early, like 10 (laughs) seconds to spare. You crushed it. (laughs) Amazing. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, thank you so much for being here. We hope y'all loved listening to that. We are absolutely in love with all of the mothers that we've gotten to interview and their stories and their incredible bravery and resilience. So next week is no different. We have a woman named Noor who is also a mom. She has two kids And her story entails so much within motherhood and outside of motherhood. She talks about getting pregnant before she was engaged or married and what that was like for her. She talks about going through experiences of assault. And she, what's actually the most interesting part of her story, is that she is the first Ismaili woman to graduate from West Point Academy. So there is so much to learn from her. And she is incredibly resilient. And we cannot wait for you guys to hear that story because it's amazing. Yeah,
4: she's a rock star all around. And we were so lucky to have had the chance to talk to her. So stay tuned for that in two weeks and we'll catch you then.